today on Ag News Daily. A number of years ago, I had an absolute career highlight um, because I got to be the founding executive director of the Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Beef. And there's an amazing team that's carrying on that work uh, today. Good afternoon and happy Friday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, I know that we talk every day, but sometimes, I don't know if you feel this way, I feel like when I'm talking, it's like not computing with my brain. And so then I feel really weird and off and not like normal. And today's kind of one of those days. Oh, so you're having a brain fog. A little bit, yes. All right. Well, I had one of those the other day, so I totally get how that goes. I'm feeling fresh. I'm feeling good. So I'll be, I'll carry the team today. Okay. I appreciate it. You carried the team yesterday. And so you're just going to have to do it two days in a row. And I'm sorry for that. That's okay. I can do it. I'm a big girl, Ashton. Well, I'm appreciative of that, Delaney. Other than that, how is your Friday going? Well, it is a Friday here on the podcast, so I can't complain. Uh, Other than that, not a whole else, a lot to report today, Ashton. So heading into the weekend, you got any good weekend plans? Um, Not a ton. Of course, I am done here visiting my family. I'm sure I'm going to be doing a lot of barn chores because we have a ton of pigs in the barn right now. Of course, you know, they're not all going to be shown by my sister, but my dad, he just took a trip to Iowa and to Minnesota last week kind of help um, his friends out and got a couple of pigs that he's kind of moving and wheeling and dealing down here. So I'm sure I'm going to be helping out there. He was in Iowa? He was in Iowa. Yeah. He made a trip up there in Western Iowa, more towards Illinois. I'm not super familiar with uh, the geography of Iowa. Western, Western Iowa would not be Illinois. Eastern Iowa would be Illinois. Okay, well, this is embarrassing, and I'm going to leave here just to, you know, let the people know that I am really off my rocker today, but I appreciate you pointing that out. That's a little embarrassing, but now I know. That's okay. Not everybody can be good at geography. We can't all be good at everything, Ashton. Geography is not your strong suit. Noted. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's not, but yes, he was up there. He got... um it was double digits. I want to say closer to the 20 mark, uh, 20 pigs. So he, uh, made that trip and he got back a week ago. So he's been a little bit tired trying to kind of recover and take care of 20 head of hogs on top of our cattle and our chickens. So he's had a little rough go of it this week. Well, you better take care of him while you're back home, Ashton. But I suppose uh, we've with probably enough chit chat. People probably want to hear us get into the news for today. Although maybe they like hearing about your show pigs too. I certainly do. And your lack of geography news. I appreciate that. <laughs> but uh, speaking of geography, Ashton, the latest seasonal forecasts point to drought in much of the Western geography of the United States, Ashton. So we're talking California. Nevada, the Dakotas, just in case you didn't know what states I was talking about. Um, But the latest seasonal forecast is putting to drought, not only hanging on, but actually widening here into the central U.S. as well throughout the balance of this calendar year here in 2021, which, of course, is great news for harvest to some extent. We should expect drier patterns as folks uh, continue to get into the fields. But longer term here, of course, that's playing out to be a Sad crop year for 2022 if we do have significantly drier season here heading into harvest and into winter. 
And of course, that poses the bigger question, are we heading into a hot and dry La Nina pattern? And we'll have to talk weather here sometime very soon, Ashton, as we discuss that longer term forecast. But dryness is in place, warm starts of the fall season, as you know, we've been having. And so good outlook overall for harvest. Well, Delaney, I have some news that's a little bit more my speed here talking about plant-based proteins. And this one's a little bit of a shock a plant-based pork protein that has done well in consumer blind tests is set to debut in New York City on Saturday. Tim Beddington with Zoetis says that plant-based protein will likely have some impact on the industry. Impossible Foods launched Impossible Pork made from plants in Hong Kong, where 200 customers participated in a blind taste test, of which 54% favored the plant-based protein compared to 46%. Now, of course, I have not tasted this impossible pork made from plants, but I am a big pork fan myself, so I don't know how well it would kind of play out in in that taste test. I would like to say that I would favor the pork, of course, but I mean, 54% of the 200 said that they preferred the plant-based product. But Bennington says that the interest in products like this varies. He said that there's certain parts of the country will like the concept and it will improve. The quality will improve and the taste will improve as time goes on. But it kind of makes me wonder what parts of the country will like this and what parts of the country won't. I have a theory in mind that, you know, folks in the Midwest and a lot of our agriculture producers might not favor these products, but I don't know. I thought it was pretty interesting. Like I said, I like to think that I would favor the traditional meat product. And we've talked about meat analogs and those kinds of things on the podcast. But as we see more of these products come into the playing field, I'm interested to see how it is really going to affect the sales of real meat products, which is something that, of course, we've also gone back and forth with about Delaney. My question is, Ashton, is this the first alternative pork product that we've seen? I honestly think that it might be. Um, it doesn't say in this article, but I think it's the first at least pork product from the Impossible line. But I mean, we've seen, um, you know, Impossible burgers and meatballs and and things of that nature. So it looks like they're expanding more and more. I, you know, think it's very creative, the products that they come up with and how they do it. But I want to support our ag producers and I'm a meat eater. So I will probably not be buying these at the grocery store. Yeah, well, I agree. I'd, I'd try it just so I know how it tastes. Got to compare the competition. But yeah, I probably won't be eating it myself either, Ashton. But switching tracks here just a little bit, we have seen China's energy crisis has been impacted by a halt in soybean processing plants in the northeastern portion of China. A few cities have ordered to shut down for at least a week in the latest fallout from Beijing's move to cut energy consumption and secure dwindling power supplies. So plants in the coastal metropolis of Tianjin stopped operations earlier this week and may not resume production until next month, according to people familiar with the matter. And as a frame of reference, this capacity here is about 25,000 tons a day and is one of the country's largest crushing 
Um, so what that could mean for U.S. agriculture is we could see some potential pickup in export spending, of course, what's going on with Hurricane Ida, because as we continue to look at that rebuild action, it sounds like really the oil industry has been able to pick things back up, put the puzzle pieces back together. The grain industry really, however, has not. So it's going to be interesting to see if we do see any pickup in demand. That is definitely a potential factor that could be at play. Well, Delaney, I should have kicked things off with this. It's kind of just a small follow-up, and it's something that I featured in the network newsletter earlier this morning, but there was another cybersecurity attack. I was just mentioning um, the one that happened to new co-op in Iowa, but there has been another one, and I don't have the article pulled up, but I believe it was in Minnesota, if I am remembering correctly. Um, So that's just another cyber attack, this ransomware attack that we have seen just in the past week alone. So I think that's another issue that a lot of our grain producers have on their minds right now. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's been two in one week, which seems kind of crazy, honestly. I I thought so, too. And, you know, I I don't know what we're going to have to do to kind of ramp up security or anything, you know. I think rural America does have some issues when it comes to technology, um, our computer systems and things that, of that nature. So I think it's pretty interesting and I'm, I'm glad that we're, we're dealing with this, but I'm thinking that our protection online is going to be ramped up, you know, here in the next few years or so. I imagine it'll take some time. I'd certainly imagine you're right on the nose there, Ashton. But uh, I want to switch things here back to the United States. We've got a quick update here on a biofuel announcement coming from President Joe Biden, who's being urged by farm and renewable fuel groups to, quote, pull the EPA back from the brink and ensure that the EPA doesn't slash national biofuel blending requirements, because as we know, quite a few things have been, quote unquote, trickled through the media, leaked by the media or leaked into the media, I should say. And of course, a lot of ag groups have said that they're deeply concerned, as well as renewable fuel groups like the Renewable Fuel Association and the National Biodiesel Board have said that they're very concerned about what's going to happen here under this administration. And although a formal plan hasn't yet been released by the EPA, of course, Reports have been indicating or rumors have been indicating that this proposal sitting right now, I believe, at the EPA still would be destroying a decade of progress on low carbon biofuels and brazenly violent or excuse me, brazenly violate the promises that President Biden made to farmers. Going to be interesting how he deals with this one, Ashton. Well, Delaney, I have some government news of my own to follow that up with coming from the USDA as they announced that they will establish an equity commission to address historical discrimination and disparities in the ag sector. The announcement is an important step towards implementing Biden's commitment to address racial equality issues within USDA and its programs. And um, Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack says that this is just the first step in dismantling barriers historically underserved communities have faced in accessing USDA programs and services. And the last time that we really had a situation similar to this, it had to do, of course, with, you know, these underserved communities getting some government support and they were the only ones eligible. So we had a couple of different lawsuits that we saw come out of this. 
But now we're seeing this equity commission that will advise the secretary by identifying USDA programs, policies, systems, structures, and practices that contribute to barriers to inclusion or access, systematic discrimination, or perpetuate racial, economic, health, and social disparities. So we've got a little bit more clarification there on who all is included in that so that is really all I have on, you know, this new equity commission. I'm interested to see what the public thinks about this. Mm-hmm. I am as well. I haven't heard a lot of producers talking about it. They probably just look at it and don't really understand what it means because I certainly don't understand necessarily what it all entails at this point, Ashton. But yeah, so I got to share on that matter. Yeah. And, you know, the last time we saw something similar to this, it was, a lot to do with race, but, you know, they clarify that it's, you know, includes race, but also economic health and social disparities. So I think that's, you know, just one other thing that we need to take into consideration there, but that is really all I have to say on the matter. All right. Well, I really don't have anything else to say, Ashton, today, other than the markets. How about we dive here into how they closed for today? Let's do it. All right. Well, and heading into today's Friday session, we saw some mixed trade across the grain markets, but soybeans were setting themselves up, headed for the longest stretch of weekly losses since March of 2020, as we are continuing to see a lot of harvest pressure here and some faltering demand. That certainly has weighed into the soybean markets this week, as well as kind of trickled into all other grains as well. We are beginning to see South America in full swing as far as getting their crop in the ground. So with that being said, Ashton, kicking things off for this Friday afternoon, we saw December corn close down two and a half cents to close at 526 and three quarters. The March down two and a half cents to end at 534 and a half. Soybeans today We're able to pull through here for just slight gains on the day as the November contract added three quarters of a cent to close at 12.85. The January up three quarters of a cent as well to close at 12.94 and three quarters. In the wheat pits today, the December contract adding six cents to close at 7.23 and three quarters. The March up six and a quarter to close at 7.34 and three quarters. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets today, we certainly saw mixed trade here throughout the cattle complex as the October live cattle contract added 30, excuse me, shed 30 cents to close at 122.92 and a half. The December down 47 and a half cents to close at 128.15. In the feeder cattle pits today, the October contract up 50 cents to close at 157.35. The November up 47 and a half cents to close at 158.57 and a half. And in the lean hog markets, we saw strength again today as the October contract added $2.52 and a half cents to close at 87.22 and a half. The December up 30 cents to close at 76.80. And lastly, wrapping things up here, Ashen with the class three dairy milk futures. October eight cents higher on the day to end at seventeen thirty-five. November unchanged to end the day out at sixteen ninety-six. Ashen, without further ado, remind me who we're talking to for today's interview. We are talking to Fawn Jackson of the Canadian Cattlemen's Association. Well, today we are talking to Fawn Jackson, who is the Director of Policy and International Relations at the Canadian Cattlemen's Association and an overall leading voice in Canadian agriculture. Fawn, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. 
So we actually got into contact with you because Delaney came across some interesting things that you were chatting about on Twitter. And I'm glad that she did because after doing a little bit of digging for myself, you are very interesting. The work that you do is very interesting. And I'm excited to chat about that. But before we do get into that, I want to learn a little bit more about your background. So why don't you tell myself as well as the audience a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Well, uh, you know, going back, I suppose, to the very start, uh, I grew up on a farm and ranch in rural Manitoba, a grain farm, a seed operation, as well as a purebred uh, operation. And that's where really, of course, founded my love of agriculture and uh, got to do my education in economics starting in Canada. Then actually went on down to uh, Oklahoma State University uh, go pokes for for those l- listeners. And uh, after that, I, I uh, made my way back to Canada, where I started my career with the Canadian Cattlemen's Association. And uh, I've been there ever since. And it's been uh, phenomenal to work on behalf of Canadian uh, beef producers, and quite often in conjunction with our uh, American beef producers. So uh, always great to work with neighbors. Well, Fawn, you know, you almost lost a brownie point there for saying go pokes because me and Delaney <laughs> were both writers. So, but, but, you know, the work that you've done and, you know, the interesting things that we're talking about, I guess, kind of save you from that. So I'll give you that much. But as far as the Canadian beef sector goes, what's the general status there? It sounds like we are experiencing some similar things when it comes to drought um, down here in the U.S. So why don't you kind of give us a status update for what things are looking like for our Canadian folks? Yeah, it's interesting when, you know, you look at um, beef production in Canada. Of course, we are very focused on exports here. Uh, We export about 50 percent of what we produce and uh, since 2016, we've been hitting uh, record years of, of exports. And, um, you know, that's really being driven out of high demand out of uh, Asian countries. Um, and this year, we're expecting to be, you know, around uh, 30% higher than our, our five-year average. So that's, that's the good side of things. Uh, but things have been challenging the last number of years. And, um, you know, in, in a number of different ways that I suppose are sort of limiting, uh, where we would anticipate to see us, uh, in, in a path to growing the Canadian cow herd. Uh, and one of those things, of course, this year is the drought and the drought, um, really extended right from the Great Lakes, um, the, the western edge of the Great Lakes all the way across, uh, Canada, uh, western, western wise, you know, through, um, uh, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta. And then when you get into BC, not only did they have some drought impact, but then they also had wildfires. Uh, so this year, um, you know, normally we would anticipate to see around an 11% call rate of, um, of, of, of the mama cow herd. Um, but this year we're anticipating that it might be around the 14%. Uh, so, you know, a, a bit of a tough year in terms of drought. But that being said, we got some rains at the end of August and September. And, uh, you know, I think it put some folks in a better position for their winter feed. Uh, so hopefully, um, you know, we can, we can maintain the cow herd, which is, um, you know, a a big goal of ours so that we can maintain our exports, maintain our processing capacity and, and, uh, and, and keep things rolling here in Canada. 
I think a lot of people are just kind of keeping their fingers crossed right now, especially as we're entering into a new season here. But I want to move on and talk a little bit more about the work that you're doing, Fawn, because you have a, a real passion, it looks like, for sustainability. So why don't you chat with us a little bit about what sustainability looks like in Canada, the things that you have done, and kind of lead us into the Certified Sustainable Beef Program. Yeah, so a number of years ago, I had an absolute career highlight um, because I got to be the founding executive director of the Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Beef. And there's an amazing team that's carrying on that work uh, today, but uh, certainly, um, you know, very proud to have been um, part of it in, in those setup stages. And uh, in Canada, um, when we work on sustainability, uh, we certainly cover the three pillars. When we talk about social, we talk about environmental and, and uh, we talk about economic. And so uh, the Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Beef brought uh, over 110 members from a number of different constituency groups together and said, OK, you know, if we're looking at sustainability in Canada, we need to be measuring it. We need to be setting goals of where we want to go, um, and 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 then also uh, looked at uh, building a certified sustainable beef program, uh, which uh, now actually covers about sixteen point five percent of the Canadian uh, beef herd. Uh, so it's been uh, a journey over uh, the last number of years. I think it's helped us communicate not only with consumers about the sustainability of beef production uh, in Canada. But it's also uh, uh, enabled us to better communicate with government here, uh, too, because our government is very focused on uh, topics such as climate change. And the beef industry has an amazing story when it comes to that. So I would say that uh, it's been an exciting last number of years. Don't get me wrong. There was hard times, hard conversations. Uh, but it's certainly something that... Um, you know, I'm passionate about and, and beef producers are passionate about. They care about their animals. They care about their, uh, you know, rural communities. They care about uh, the environment that they're stewarding. So uh, overall, I'd, I'd say it's been a positive journey. And I think this next generation of agriculturalists are really going to take us into a new world when it comes to climate change mitigation and sustainability, those kinds of things. And you're working with this new generation with the Cattlemen's Young Leaders Mentorship Program. So why don't we go ahead and chat about that? Yeah, absolutely. I would say one of the best programs that we have in Canada is our Cattlemen's Young Leaders Program. And what that program does is it matches up uh, young folks in the beef industry with a mentor. They get a little bit of uh, money to be able to travel to events, to maybe take a course that they would like to do. And they set out a roadmap for the year in uh, what they would like to uh, accomplish in, in their mentorship. And though, although it only lasts a year, uh, I can tell you uh, that those are friendships that are, are really um, um, built that, that then last a lifetime. So, uh, it's been an amazing program where we've been able to, uh, bring, uh, folks along in, in their career and help celebrate, uh, young people in our industry and, and set them on a, a really great trajectory. 
So how do these young folks apply to the program or get involved? Because it's it's really interesting. I don't think that we really have anything here similar in the U.S. If we do, I don't know about it. So I'd love to learn a little bit more about how the program, you know, really is, gets these people involved. Yeah, so there is an application process each year. People send in their application and then we actually do uh, an interview uh, process because, um, uh, you know, we only have a set number of people in the program each year and uh, the popularity of the program uh, has, has continued to grow. So then after that uh, interview process, then um, um, once they have made it into the program, then they're able to say, Okay, well, this is what I'm looking for uh, in my mentorship. And we have some industry uh, well-connected folks who say, oh, yeah, you know, this person would be a really great mentor for that young individual or this mentor. Um, and, and then they get uh, paired up and then uh, they, are, they are off to the races. And uh, I just I can't emphasize enough how uh, impactful this, this mentorship program has been, you know, in Canada, our 4-H program sort of ends, you know, around the early 20s for, for folks. And then uh, there's this gap in, I would say, youth programming uh, for folks who are who are just kicking off their careers. And so this program has really come into play uh, for our young beef producers and couldn't, uh, you know, recommend it enough for anybody uh, to, to take this uh, and, and replicate it because um, I think that we're really seeing uh, how valuable it is. Well, Fawn, I wish we had a little bit more time to really dive into what the future for Canadian beef producers looks like. But for our audience members who might want to follow along with your story and get connected with you, where can they find you at online? Oh, yeah, you can track me down on Twitter. I am at Fawn Jackson One and uh, always happy to talk with agriculture producers around the globe. So I'd love that. Well, Fawn, thank you once more for coming on today. And we're super excited to have gotten to chat with you, learn a little bit more about yourself and the work that you've done. Well, thanks so much for having me. Thanks again there to Fawn for coming on and talking to us. I wish we had a little bit more time to really dive into a couple of other things because she is working on some fun projects, doing a lot of fun things. Be sure to follow her on Twitter because that's how Delaney came into contact with her and she has some really cool things going on there. And while you're at it, go ahead and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well at Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.